Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living in the solutions. Today I have a very special guest and a very special friend on, Dr. Craig Wax. We've known each other for several years, and Craig has been with me in the trenches uh, as an independent physician, as a primary care doctor, family practice, someone on the front line who's seen the changes in the healthcare system. And before the show, we were talking about the fact this is a change election, a change year. And one of the things I want to highlight this season on on living with the solution, living in the solution, is how we can understand the healthcare system so that we can all make an informed choice about our future. This is not about what you look like, where you're from, um, you know, what you believe in. I think we're all in the same boat when it comes to our health. Everybody needs to have uh, the ability to access quality healthcare from a physician who's able to give it to them without a middleman stuck in the middle and be able to prescribe medications that they know the patient can actually afford to buy. And Dr. Wax has written an amazing article. I think people need to go to that, to Breitbart. It's called Making a Killing in American Healthcare, a Step-by-Step Guide. And it's well-written, easy to understand. And I just want to thank you, Craig, for coming on today because I think you have a voice that needs to be heard. And Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Dr. George. And I appreciate, uh, as a fellow radio show host, uh, media personality, family physician, um, uh, activist in uh, Washington for uh, patients' rights and physicians' rights to practice, I appreciate all that you do and your uh, excellent production of Medicine on Call. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. I feel like I'm talking with, a, with an old friend. And today we're going to really tease um, and, and actually expound on the, the tenets of why our health care is broken. I'm pretty much done with people saying it's all about capitalism and free market is bad. Those people really don't understand how we got to this position. And in Well, your... it's interesting that you mentioned that, uh-huh. um, that, uh, you know, when you talk about the free market, there hasn't been a free market in healthcare for close to 100 years. So when some everybody says, well, the free market failed, mm-hmm. well, there never really was a free market in the last century because of government interventions, third-party interventions, and just a lot of artificial strains that were created. Um, and you know, a lot of times government solutions, as we all know, are worse than the problem. Yeah, that's, isn't that the case? So let's, how do you think it got started? I know there's a, there's a crony aspect to this where it's about follow the money and these lobby groups and these, you know, feeding the trough that goes on in, on Capitol Hill. How do you think this all got started? Is it legislated that way or is, is this just business as usual? Well, it's a great question. I have an hour lecture prepared with slides. So <laughs> allow me to get started with the first slide. First slide, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so seriously, though, um, there's a great book by another colleague of ours named Ken Fisher. He's like, understand, and it describes a lot of the last hundred years. So in brief now, um, about a hundred years ago, healthcare insurance really wasn't much of a thing. Uh, a few people had it. Most people you know, uh, did what they did. They lived their lives, and they, they, they 
you know, worked hard for themselves, and there wasn't really a lot um, to be done, and there wasn't a lot of uh, help to be had. Having said all of that, um, if, if we go uh, at that point, insurance was a, a minor thing. And around World War II, um, when very few people had health insurance, and so, of course, we were fighting, you know, a, a great evil in another country that threatened to take over the world. And, you know, uh, the evils crop up all the time. I mean, we're working on major issues in the Middle East right now that are probably in the same ballpark, but not with the same relative strength of the previous in World War II, you know, Nazi Germany and all that. But having said all of that, the government said to employers, you can't raise your amount of pay because you can't compete with all of what we're doing abroad, because this is important to the, our, our way of life and our country and our ideals and what have you. So the government came up with this idea to say, well, if employers, if you want to attract quality people, you can do um, health insurance and other kinds of insurance, and you don't have to pay taxes on it. So it's like a ta- an untaxed benefit or what they call pre-tax dollars, and so World War II is kind of when it started, and it was started by government legislation around 1941-42. So that kind of kick-started uh, all of health insurance. So insurers raced to provide this now that employers were going to be incentivized by the government through taxes or not taxes to to provide it. So by 1960s, you know, everybody that was into the job market had an employment package. I mean, they had their paycheck, but they also had a bunch of different kinds of compensations, including health care insurance. Now, this was regular insurance. This was kind of the stuff um, that auto insurance is, homeowner's insurance. You paid a small premium, and with this one with pre-tax dollars, and if you got into any sort of major scrape for a lot of money, they would pay 80%, and you would pay 20%. So you're kind of betting that you'd get into a major scrape. Now, just like with your car, you don't want to get into any major scrapes. They're expensive, and they can harm you, or even, you know, you could lose your life. So obviously, you you want to try not to collect on it, but you do pay the premiums. So the premiums were low, and the payouts were relatively, you know, low, unless something was necessary. So moving forward... There was more and more legislation on top of that that changed and morphed insurance in 1972-73. There was the HMO Act under Richard Nixon, and that created health maintenance organizations, which sounds like a good thing, but that did what's called capitated. That is to say, capitation is where an insurance company says, okay, doctor or healthcare entity or hospital, We'll pay you X dollars, take care of everybody's everything. Okay. Well, that became a big issue because what's the right number for that? $9 a month, $12 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month? What's the right number? So that created a lot of issues, and it made risk-taking entities out of physicians, hospitals, and other kinds of healthcare institutions, which they really weren't made to be. So, again, government put their big foot in it. Um, of course, they had put their foot in um, uh, in 1965 with Medicare and Medicaid, which were two giant insurance 
uh, mandated plans by uh, by the government. And a huge issue because Medicare, as we know, takes care of the elderly, which are people over 65. And in 1965, um, nobody lived past 65. So it was easy to take care of nobody. You needed very little money. But now people are living past 65 and Medicaid, they keep raising the minimums for that. So more and more people are rolled onto that. Flying forward each decade, more and more legislation was piled on all the way up to 2010 um, ACA or what they call the Affordable Care Act, which I call the Unaffordable Careless Act because it was both unaffordable for everything that was mandated and it was careless. It was sloppily put together. It really wasn't researched well. And it, it was a failure. It was an utter, utter failure because just giving people insurance doesn't mean that A, they have the money to access it, that there are enough people that you can access it with. Um, there are 150 different problems with it, new taxes and new committees that government created to oversee things. And you know as a physician that it's nearly impossible to practice in a private practice nowadays unless you just work directly with a patient because there's so many rules and laws and conventions and practices, it's it's almost impossible. It's it's like teaching is nowadays. Your job is to teach the student. And as a physician, we know that's you know Greek for teacher. We're teaching and working with a person to help them be their best and express themselves and take responsibility for themselves. And the government has broken that whole system. And now the government wants to fix it again by doing more. And doing the same thing, expecting a different result, <laughs> right? They're doubling exactly. down on Definition it. of insanity. Exactly. Doubling down and then penalizing anybody who puts their head up and or hand up and asks a question. On that note, let's take our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Craig Wax, a family practice physician in New Jersey, a solo practice. Correct, Craig? It's solo practice, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes. One of the few like me. Correct. I love it. And before thank, the... <laughs> thank you for that, for being independent and um, and, and strong enough um, as a person, as a physician, as every different entity that you are, to be able to stand up for patients and for yourself as a physician. Many, many, many of us don't. I know. And, and it's a tragedy. And I was hoping that the pendulum was starting to swing back because I think you know, we went from being 60% or I think or more of the doctors in practice to now to 30%. And, you know, in this segment, I want to touch base or talk about how the hospitals play a role in this huge cost of healthcare, devastation of private practice physicians, and, you know, gouging patients. I mean, your article gives a step-by-step on how to become a CEO of a hospital. And it's, it's kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek to a degree. You know, it's it's written in a whimsical style, but it's deadly serious about how they have cornered the market on the healthcare system. Like the fact that these talk about nonprofits for a second. It sounds awesome when you think you have a nonprofit institution, but how does that affect the patient and the community? Sure. Well, it sounds good on paper. You know, you say, oh, nonprofit or not for profit. Well, 
it's sort of a clever ruse to to get out of doing your part by paying the taxes that everybody winds up paying for things that are important to to our society as a group. However, the I mean, again, I've lectured on this, and we could spend hours, and I have PowerPoint slides for anybody that's interested. But um, I think it all started in 1751, actually, uh, and. It has to do with Pennsylvania Hospital. The first hospital in the, in the colonies um, was established nearby where we are in, in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it was basically, you know, a, a used property and, and a house that was converted into a place where, um, as, as they put it at the time, to care for the sick and insane poor of Philadelphia who were walking the streets. So the whole idea came out of charity. Um, and in fact, they used even some of the examples from from England, you know, the Elizabethan statutes of charitable um, uh, giving. And they basically had a lot of volunteer staff, volunteer physicians, volunteer nurses, just volunteer people uh, helping everybody out in, in a place that was basically a place where people could could donate their time and services, and they barely, barely made it. Uh, and this was hugely important. You know, it was sort of a, a love your neighbor as yourself sort of thing, which sounds good, but it it, it quickly became something different over the next <laughs> couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. So having said that, it started out as a volunteer entity that paid no taxes, which is wonderful. Um, look forward to today. And what do you see with hospitals and health systems? They're huge. They've got marvelous, expensive buildings. They have CEOs that make millions of dollars. And and I have no issue with anybody making money, and I certainly don't want anybody else's money. But I I do feel that, you know, I should be paid for what I do Mm -hmm. in a free market sort of way. And I have no problem in competing, the whole other thing. Um, At any rate, hospitals nowadays take tax money from people and don't pay any taxes. So they're a one-sided deal, and they make nothing but money. As, as you and I know, um, our local hospital that I refer to in my article in Breitbart, Making a Killing in American Healthcare, a step-by-step guide, um, the first step, for instance, is get the local university to use eminent domain to grab a huge campus and then sell the acreage to you inexpensively. And that's what happened in this case. Mm. The second one, obtain donations for your charitable foundation, secure state grants, and float a loan on the taxpayers for your fabulous new $356 million facility. I mean, um, declare yourself a nonprofit and eliminate your tax burden by shifting it onto the back of taxpayers. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, and that's only step three, you know. So... Uh, the other thing is, is to overcharge for all of your services. If you go to that local hospital, they charge $400 for a lipid panel. That's cholesterol, triglycerides, and a few ratios, which can be done with a drop of blood. Mm-hmm. $400. Um, major um, providers of such services, LabCorp and Quest, for example, charge about 80 We have some small local laboratories that use similar equipment and with really good results. cash for that same test that was $400 at the hospital plus a $50 draw fee. Absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. 
Guess what Medicare pays? $19. So apparently, it's possible to do the test for $19 because there are private entities willing to do it and take it. Now, what's the hospital's game with $400? Well, they take the 19 and they write off the rest. They write off the other $381, assuming I did the math right, and they basically say to the taxpayers, we're losing all this money. Look at all this. We have to write all this off. We're doing so much things here. We need more money. And taxpayers, through legislators, pour more money into the pot for them. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a scam. You know, it's yeah, no of course way it's to put a scam. It that way. In, in my opinion, hospitals should pay taxes. As a physician who runs an office, I pay taxes. Uh, as a business, as a, a, a building owner, as a personal entity, mm-hmm. why should they be exempt? They don't do anything for free, I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And they're supposed to be giving charity um, services. I don't think that happens very often anymore. Well, the charity services were that $381 write-off. <laughs> that you know, in my charity. article, I have a patient that actually went to this hospital, and he got a bill um, in the tens of thousands of dollars. I think it was $19,000, if I'm correct. And he didn't have insurance, and he appealed, and he said, hey, I can't Actually, no, I, you know, I'm looking at the bill here now. It was $23,000 in service charges for a 23-hour admission to the hospital. Wow. So it was sort of an observation thing, almost a day. It was $23,000 list price. Now, when he called up, he said, hey, I need charity care. I can't possibly do this. I'm a working guy. I don't make much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have resources. I don't have insurance. So, of course, they tried to collect on insurance. They tried to get him on Medicare, but he wasn't old enough. They tried to get him on Medicaid, but he wasn't poor enough. He was working poor, not not working, subsidized poor. Mm-hmm. And so they said, okay, we're going to put you on charity care. We're going to write off, you know, 22000 and we're just going to charge you $1,327. <laughs> now, to me, that was the real cost of the hospital admission for 23 hours was the $1,300. So now they're getting their money plus they're writing off and using it for huge benefits elsewhere to mm-hmm. say we're a, we're a, uh, an entity that requires charity. Well, it's interesting to cry poor mouth when you're building new buildings out of chrome glass and marble. I agree with you. We have a huge monstrosity here in Atlanta and I can imagine how much patient payments and self-pay patients and or, ta- and or taxpayer dollars went to fund that. It's, it's, I don't know how they sleep at night, honestly. And where are the politicians? I, mean, it's a, I know it's kind of a loaded question, but what are they doing? I mean, we keep talking about the, we're having an argument now about Medicare for all and the cost of health care. But the sure. argument is not getting to the root cause of the reason. It's always us. It's always the physician, as if we're the ones charging these astronomical fees. We're not. It's the hospitals. But they are literally getting away with murder. And physician fees are approximately 10% of what Medicare pays. Frankly and honestly, 
And if Medicare were still real insurance, I mean, we've got Medicare Advantage now, which to me is a disadvantage Mm -hmm. because you're giving, you're taking the money from the government who couldn't manage it and giving it to profiting entities, Mm -hmm. you know, which are insurance companies to manage it. And they say, oh, we're going to give you all these benefits for the same price. Frankly, honestly, I've never got more for less. I've got less for less and I've gotten more for more but I've never gotten more for less. It's just not reality. So what are they doing? Well, they're putting up, um, they're making you into an HMO. So rather than using the 80-20 model where Medicare was started um, as real insurance, now it's become an HMO for people, and they need renewals, they need referrals, Mm -hmm. they need prior authorizations, they need pre-certifications, and these terms didn't, didn't even exist you know, 30 years ago, but now all of a sudden they're on everybody's lips, uh, along with curse words and obscenities that go along <laughs> with them. Uh, definitely. On that note, let's take a break um, and, and revisit this when we come back. You're listening to Living in the Solution. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're having a really enlightening and important conversation with Dr. Wax about how this system is built on this house of cards that's, you know, buttressed by fraud, greed, um, I mean, lack of transparency. I mean, now that I think about what the president did with the um, executive order for price transparency, that's like shining a light on this entire system. And he's getting major pushback. I can't believe that <laughs> my favorite was the hospital saying, that patients couldn't understand it was, you know, if the prices were listed, they get confused. I'm sorry, but I'm not one, one patient to be confused about something costing a fraction of what they're, what the hospital says it's going to cost. I mean, they think that we're stupid or something. It's just offensive, honestly. Yeah, it's, you know what, it, unfortunately, government over the last hundred years, say, has encroached more and more on personal responsibility and freedom I mean, our country was created so that men, women can be free to to chase their bliss. I mean, they have some responsibility for that. Obviously, if my bliss interferes with your bliss, you know, we, we do have to have a conversation and, and work the details out. But we need to work those out. And unfortunately, the government said, you, you little person, you're not capable of doing this, so we'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. Well. I really don't want their solutions because I have my own value system as you have your own and our listeners have their own value systems and they're all very personal and very private and, and, and they should be. And the community value system is always different. And that's why, you know, America uh, was founded on freedom and liberty. But the word that's missing from that is responsibility. Everyone has a responsibility to themselves and to the group. And you have to be careful because the responsibility to yourself has to be stronger than the one to the group. Although, you know, as I said, I mean, I can't dump stuff on your lawn just mm-hmm. because I need to dump stuff. That's mm-hmm. not fair or equitable. And it, 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 you know, trods on your right to have a lawn. But um, I wanted to just mention briefly, if you don't mind, sure. a lot of my publications over the last 20 years were in a, a journal called Medical Economics. And if you Google Medical Economics or DuckDuckGo, if you prefer not to be followed around by Google, hit Medical Economics <laughs> and Craig Wax, 
and you'll get my author page. And over the last uh, two segments of your show, I just wanted to review some of the titles. Back in June of 2018, I wrote The American Hospital, From Volunteer Charity to Tax-Exempt Patronage Pit. And I think that was the underpinning of the current work that I'm doing. Um, in July of that same year, 2018, I wrote, To Solve U.S. Healthcare Crisis, Think Small, Not Big. And that has to do with reconnecting patients and physicians in a first-order way, not a third- or fourth-order, third-party way, which is important. I also define what is healthcare because people say, you know, if you, if you listen to some of the candidates, we're going to give you health care. Health care should be free. Everybody yeah. should have health care. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. Well, and because I, I had actually listened to a politician speak on that. And afterward, I asked him, I said, so what's health care? And he looked at me as if, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, if you're going to give it to me, um, what are you going to give me and who's going to pay for it? And how can I get me some? <laughs> and he had no real good answers. So if you look at my article from January of 2019, what is healthcare? It's it's totally explained there. A lot of politicians think that healthcare is insurance. Mm-hmm. Insurance is not healthcare. That's part of my Ten Commandments of healthcare. That insurance is not healthcare. Um, there's a, as I said, there's nine others. That's that's the number one. But the other one that's, that's totally germane to what you're talking about now with what's going on with our um, election that's coming up, um, I wrote an article in response to a politician speaking called Legal Care for All. And basically, I used Medicare and all of the legislations that politicians uh, on a national level have done to all of medical care over a 100 years, except I make... It, about the legal system and legal care. <laughs> Everybody has to live under the same uh, laws of the state and the country. So everyone has the right to a lawyer. And I basically conscript the lawyers in the way they've <laughs> conscripted the doctors. And, you know, I was very fortunate. People thought it was very creative. But I just wanted to give an example to many of the lawyer politicians what if they, their work was taken from them, their work product, and said, hey, you have to do all of your legal stuff in this way? Well, that's never been the way it is, and that's never will be the way it is, because they tend to be the politicians. But I suppose we need more physician politicians. But that's legal care for all, an analogy to help lawyer politicians understand health care and its financing. And again, that's in Medical Economics Journal. That's awesome. I, I... If doctors ran this, for I me, think it's this memory lane. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and, and do a deep dive on this after this is done because you've actually been really out there, forward thinking, almost like a, you know, uh, you saw the future of what, what this was, where this was going, and it's not about patient care anymore. And for those, well, it's people, like the book "Who Moved My Cheese." Yeah. The unfortunate thing is, is I'm. I'm lactose intolerant, and I don't believe dairy is quality food for me, so it's not even cheese anymore. You know, I do. And this so now it's who moved my broccoli. <laughs> well, let's let's get into what these some of the advocates of this Medicare for all um, system what they're advocating. This healthcare sure. is a right, and that to me means you don't have a choice. My labor becomes your, you know, I have to give it to you in any manner that you, yeah, what is that? I mean, 
First of all, I know that I'm, I know the well, answer. You don't have to be you don't have to be Ayn Rand, you know, the mother of objectivism, to realize <laughs> that no one person should be able to make a demand of any other person for their work or work product. But they're using healthcare, the right for healthcare, as a human right, as a inalienable oh, right. Power and votes. Gotcha. Well, what's your argument for those folks? Well, my argument is, is okay, um, what are you talking about, number one? Let's define what you're talking about in healthcare. Let's talk about um, who's going to work there, how they're going to be paid, what are their hours going to be, how much uh, are you going to compensate. I mean, there's so many issues. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, peeling an onion. You know, each level you cry and you cry and you cry some more. <laughs> So if everybody decides everybody deserves a health care something, well, you've got to define it in, in logical terms and concrete terms. You can't fudge. And unfortunately, that's what the politicians are doing. Everybody deserves everything. It should be free and yeah. you should have it ad lib. Well, no offense. They have that in Cuba. And I've, I've actually interviewed and know survivors of the brutal, awful regime down there. And they were promised everything. Mm -hmm. They got nothing. They had their homes taken away, their businesses, their livelihood, and their food. And basically the government said, line up for food and maybe you'll get it. Line up for health care, maybe you'll get it. Line up for education, maybe you'll get it. And politicians toured down there to see what the what their politicians have for their families, not what the average person has. The average person in America has so much opportunity. It's unbelievable. And to listen to politicians bash our country based on imperfect history, oh my gosh, it is amazing. It's It's upsetting. Well, it's disingenuous because it's the same people who claim that their victims are... They benefited. Yeah, they were the beneficiaries. They are the 1%. They're the ones that are making the rules and still crying victimhood. It, But it's all about shutting everybody up. You can't have a conversation when you're a victim, right? Because some you're put upon. As soon as someone says something you don't like, you get to shut them down by the racism, sexism, whatever ism, word you want to use. But they're doing yep. it 24-7. When are people going to realize... That were being manipulated. Racist, sexist, uh, every ist you want to have. And and I agree with you. And and you and I may not agree on everything. And that's what America is about. But we should be able to have principled discussion and debate that's not personal, emotional, or, or arbitrary. I mean, we really need to talk about the issues in a non personal, factual sort of way. Agreed. And, and that's where Washington has totally been crippled over the last several decades. I mean, everybody says, oh, well, Washington is so partisan and so this and so that. It's been that way for decades. One might even argue a century or better. I think what maybe the difference now is that we can see how this sausage is being made, right? These politicians are not, they don't represent their constituents at all. You know, they represent special interest and lobby groups, and it's all about the next election and getting the money together to run. And whoever gives, whoever has the money has the power. 
And the hospital system, what the top ten lobby groups are, most of them are medically based, whether they're insurance well, companies. Well, AHA, the American yeah. Hospital Association, is a huge one. Blue Cross Blue Shield Insurance was a huge donator. And here's the thing people don't realize, because people on one side of the aisle yell at the people on the other side of mm-hmm. the aisle. And frankly and honestly, these entities you're referring to, the big health care, so to speak, lobbies both sides. They go into the casino, mm-hmm. they look at the dealer, they put money on the black and the red, and they spin the wheel. And no matter what it comes up, they win. They win influence. Yeah, they do. And the fact that anybody is against price transparency in D.C. doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're supposed to talk about bringing the healthcare costs down. If you don't even know what the costs are, right? How can you yep. possibly legislate anything that would actually improve that? And we're telling you, the doctors are up there. You've been up there multiple times to tell them what it's like on the front line. Does your congressperson listen to you? Do you have they created any legislation based on what the real world um, information you've given them? Well, let me, if you don't mind, let me close this segment briefly um, with everybody out there listening. You have your own experience. You're entitled to it. You should be empowered by it. You can have your own opinions. Make sure that you're well-read and you're well-researched and you have data to back up the things and experience to back up the things that you say. And let your legislators locally, statewide, and nationally, let them all know what you're experiencing and what you want. Tell them what you're frustrated about and what your solutions are, because frankly and honestly, they have no idea what your existence is like, period. That's terrible. (laughs) So how do they come out every three of two to four to six years and tell you, I understand and I feel your pain and I'm going to let you? They don't. Nonsense. (laughs) I've found I've been on Capitol Hill many times with yourself and other um, doctors who are fighting for patient independence and physician independence so we can serve our patients in a direct primary way. Um, Legislators don't understand. They don't know. They have other people helping to digest things for them. They don't have that experience. And if they're lawyers, if they're plumbers, uh, whatever, wherever walk they came from, they're not physicians. They're not, you know, citizens the way you are. They, they're not people who run businesses. They're not teachers. They're not, they're not folks like everyday folks. Right. And, Unfortunately, we need to tell them what we're experiencing and give them solutions, give them actions to take. It's one thing to say, oh, my God, we have a blood crisis. We need blood donations. It's another thing to say, here's the phone number. Here's the website. Show up and do your thing. Agreed. But, Ian, I'm going to play devil's advocate in a few seconds before the break. There are physicians up in Capitol Hill who had private practices, who understand that. What are they doing up there? They're the ones who are supposed to be the voice for us, and they're not. Well, it's interesting that you say that. It is very interesting that you say that because uh, a lot of the physicians that have made their way into Congress, but certainly at least a few, uh, don't have touch with their history. They, mm-hmm. they develop I mean, I think this is, you know, people go well-intentioned, even lawyers go well-intentioned to Congress. I'm going to change things. I'm going to fix things. 
Our, our last congressman here from southern New Jersey was a great guy, very accessible. And in the 90s, he went to Congress for what? He went to Congress to establish term limits. How long was he there? <laughs> Two decades. <laughs> Frankly and honestly, wow. no pun intended, that might have been his name. Um, <laughs> had a great relationship with him, didn't agree with him on all things. We agreed on certain things. But you've got to let these people know and call them on the carpet. And you know what? When they do something right, call them and thank them. When they do something wrong, chastise them. But don't do it in a personal or emotional way. Do it in a professional and a logical way. Hold them to task. That's an excellent, excellent advice. And I heard that when people call up there, that one call translates to, uh, you know, it amplifies. If they are actually doing like a percentage. If one person feels this way, then X number of people feel this way. So a call and a fax actually does count. Because I think all they care about really is getting back in. And anything that threatens that, they're about to, to you know, listen at least to what your to what your uh, your thoughts are. On that note, let's take our last break. You're listening to Living in the Solution. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Craig Rax, and I think we you've made a really excellent point many during the course of the show. But the fact that we have power as physicians and patients, I think we get lost in that. That what can one person do? What could one voice do? And, you know, we can vote with our pocketbooks. We can vote with our votes. We can withdraw our consent from the system. If it doesn't work for you, why on earth are you letting somebody else control you? Nobody has the right to tell me what I can put in my body. I'm very clear about that, about my own personal boundaries or what I won't do as a patient and a physician. Do you think people should be more aggressive about that? I mean, how can we, how can people feel empowered in your opinion? Well, I don't know if aggressive is the right word. I mean, there are some members of Congress that are saying, you know, if you see certain people, you should harass <laughs> them and get in their face and be yeah, personal. And, yeah. and frankly and honestly, I think those people should be dropped from Congress because, mm-hmm. you know, principled debate based on facts is one thing. Emotional outbursts, throwing drinks in people's faces, throwing, you know, physical things at other people is, is, I mean, it, it makes us barbaric and it's ridiculous. And, and we're, we're better than that. I mean, we have a system that's built on principles, but as we were saying before about freedom and liberty, those are all nice things, you know, and everybody wants them in copious amounts. They want them for free and they want them delivered via Amazon to your house in an hour. Having said all of that, what's missing is the personal responsibility. If you want to play, you've got to pay. And what I mean is, be present, be heard, be professional, allow others to talk, and make sure that you are heard and understood. And that way people can make up their own minds mm-hmm. and our legislators can take the appropriate action. But you have to be responsible. You can't expect them to make good decisions without your input. And the same thing goes with um, physicians. Physicians have been so busy taking care of patients over decades and decades that we've, you know, all but lost 
the battle of the government takeover of all things healthcare, the healthcare ecosystem, I call it. Um, it's, it's incredibly sad and difficult, but there are groups of us that are trying to take things back for patients and living in the solution, the title of today's episode, um, has to do, I think, with reestablishing yourself, reestablishing yourself with your primary care and your specialty care physicians, potentially paying directly at a great discount. I mean, you can get discounted surgeries if you look at um, uh, Dr. G. Keith Smith mm-hmm. of um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, SurgeryCenterOK.com. You can see how how to get a surgery done for inexpensive cash price, not the inflated insurance price that they benefit off and hospitals benefit off writing off the losses. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous any other way. And direct primary care and direct specialty care, where you know a lot of thought leaders, I'm sure you've had them on your program, Mm -hmm. I know I've had them on mine, that working directly with patients, that way there's no conflicts of interest. If your employer or your government entity is paying an insurance company who's paying a third party to deny claims to me, then how am I actually working for you? I need to work for people directly. And that's the best way to go and the best way to buy. You never want to buy third party, fourth party, fifth party. You always, for inexpensive outlays, you always want to go first party because it's a direct relationship. It's It's got personal choice. It's got personal responsibility. And it's a person's livelihood. I depend on patients to pay me so that I can feed my family and send my kids to college, just like they're doing for their kids mm-hmm. and their family. It's, it's, it's a mutual agreement. And I think if third parties are involved or government is involved, it's a lose-lose scenario for the players, patients and physicians. I agree with you. I think that third-party payer system is, is just built on removing the value. I mean, they're inserting themselves as if they're a valuable entity. They're not the value. It's the doctor and the patient, but they're inserting themselves, making medical decisions, jacking up the cost, and telling us both, as doctor and patient, we should like it. Well, we don't. And there is an alternative. You just described it. You don't have to wait for government to do this. You can find a direct primary care physician. You can make a direct contract with a physician or a a freestanding surgery center like Surgery Center of Oklahoma. They're in every single state. You go to aapsonline.org and you can see a list of doctors who offer direct primary care cash-paying services. Was it uh, jointhewedge.com? You know, we as physicians, and you and I know a lot of these guys, we've created the alternative pathway. I think it's a matter of getting people to know that it exists. They're so beaten down with, there's only one way to do it. If I don't have insurance, I'm going to die. They did a great thing or a great um, PR campaign of fear. If you don't have insurance, you you know, you're going to die. You won't make it. Doctors, you know, there are not enough doctors. I mean, all sorts of stuff with mid-level providers. And it mentioned something that people, I want to touch on briefly, and that's how the hospitals are operating. They're outsourcing a lot of their medical care. They're hiring physicians as locums. They're, you know, hiring whole emergency rooms. They're not really on staff. They're 
kind of just contract labor. I don't think that's a good recipe for medical care. Do you? No. I, again, I'm, I'm for first-person transactions whenever possible. That is to say, I would like your service. I'm willing to pay for it. How much is it? Let's make an arrangement and an agreement, mm-hmm. and I will give you this thing of value, and you will give me that thing of value, and we both benefit. Mm-hmm. Mutual consent is the best way to go in any transaction. And the most important transaction I can think of is the patient-physician relationship. I couldn't have said it better. I know in the minute or two we have left, how can people, you mentioned the medical um, economics, right? The, the Sure. I've, I've published in many places. Medical Economics Journal is a major one for the last 20 years. If someone wants to get hold of me directly, they could go to my website, healthisnumberone.com, spelled in words, healthisnumberone.com, and you'll see all about my practice and um, uh, some information I have posted for best patient health. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the at symbol, Dr. Craig Wax, D-R-C-R-A-I-G-W-A-X. You can see, you know, all the healthy meals that I prepare in under 30 minutes, usually 15, and you can see about my uh, 21-mile bicycling this morning uh, prior to dawn at 5 a.m. because daily exercise is huge. I show you that it's possible. I'm living by example uh, as I do for uh, my patients, the community, and, and my children, certainly. I want to be around for them. Having said that, I'm also host of Your Health Matters on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. And if you're not um, in the southern New Jersey, um, southeastern Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, northern Delaware area, you can get us at Rowan Radio, R-O-W-A-N-R-A-D-I-O.com. And you can hear the podcasts uh, at your leisure or um, and there's a new one uh, streaming every Saturday at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time at rowanradio.com. And for the politics of healthcare, you can go to independent physicians for patient independence. That is to say, the letters IP, the number 4PI.wordpress.com. Wow. You're a busy man. I don't know how you have time for all this, but I'm really impressed. (laughs) Well, thank you. Kind of you to say. And I appreciate your hard work and the opportunity to appear on your radio show. Thank you again. I look forward to having you back anytime you want. I look forward to stay. It's just, it's just a pleasure speaking with you and an, an education as well. Thanks, Dr. George. Um, to everybody out there, um, take responsibility, make your choices, make your thoughts known, and work with a personal physician to better yourself. Well, I, on that note, there's nothing else to be said except thank you so much for listening to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living in the solution. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again, Dr. Wax. Pleasure indeed. Thank you, Dr. George. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.